Romans, look, let me, let me just go ahead and say this. I will eventually get to worry at the end, okay? I'm just going to take a long time, Lacey, to get there, but I'll eventually get there. But Romans chapter 7, to me this is, it, it's really the most transparent, most revealing look at one of the second largest icons of the New Testament. First largest icon is Jesus. The second largest icon is the Apostle Paul. Because in this chapter and in this scripture that we're about to read, the Apostle Paul reveals aspects of himself in a way uh, that we don't see anywhere else in Scripture. And you, you might not think it's that bad, but in the context and to who he was writing and to who, what, what he was trying to get across, it is a very vulnerable moment in this guy's life. So let, let's look at Romans chapter 7, verse 21 through 25. I might have preached aspects of this before. If I have, don't doze off. Just reflect and remember. Since we have a lot of new people, maybe this is why the Lord's having me do it. I don't want to say again, but something similar. I've asked Carrie if I've preached this before. She said no. But sometimes when you've been doing this for 20-something years, you, you wonder, have I preached this before? It says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Let's just stop right now and let's pray right there. And I want you to repeat after me. Say, Jesus, help me to be real today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have anybody ever struggled with that verse? Who said yes? Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. Okay, we got some real folks in here. It's going to be a good day then. For my inner being, the part of me that has changed, the part of me that I said, Jesus, come into my life, the part of me that the Holy Spirit lives in, the, the new me, the new nature, my inner being delights in God's law. It, it delights in God's word. It delights in seeking uh, the kingdom of God first and all of His righteousness. It delights in that. But I see another law at work in me. There's the law of my flesh, my, my human nature, my sin nature. Everything that was before I met Jesus, I see this law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind. Making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Let's dissect this. Let's understand it. Let's be better after it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Melissa. We are looking inside the seventh chapter of Book of Romans, a very powerful exposition, a very powerful book. Paul is sharing this book with a very, 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 did I say very, very corrupt society. He comes in and he infiltrates the darkness of the Roman Empire. 
Paul comes in with this book and he plants a seed that is so compelling that literally the gospel begins to transform an entire area in a way that is absolutely incredible, majestic, and unbelievable. Because what we must understand, church, about Rome, it is the birthing place of the political empire of its era and the politics of its era reverts all the way into America today and that's how we got our democracy today and you can see how corrupt that is. So the Roman government is really not a city, it is not a location, it, it, is, it, is a, uh, it is literally taken over geographical locations and it was so massive that the earth is still affected by the Roman Empire today. And, and much of the fighting and much of the war that we see in Paul's life, the enemy was doing to keep Paul out of this corrupt town. If you read your Bible, he sent a storm. He sent a shipwreck. He sent a serpent to bite the hand of Paul, trying to kill Paul, to keep Paul out of Rome. He wanted to stop Paul because if Paul got to Rome, in Rome were the thinkers. In Rome were the influencers. In Rome were the religious people where political powers were. And if he could get to those people, the gospel could be unstoppable. So Rome was a massive empire, but a massive empire with many philosophical ideas. M many religious ideas. It permeated through the Roman Empire. It was a cesspool of whatever you thought, then that's whatever it was. In Rome, there were many type of religions, and, and those religions dominated and controlled thinkers that were highly respected in the day, and, and, and lean forward because Christianity was not one of them. Christianity was not respected in Rome. The few huddles of people that may have believed in Jesus, the people of Rome considered them cults. Those people were hated. Those people were despised. So if Paul were to come in and interject this idea of Christ to Rome, Paul came with great dread because people didn't like the concept and people didn't like him because he was a Christian and they thought he was cultish. And ultimately, Rome was the place that Paul was going to die. But Paul still pins this letter from Corinth and he begins to influence the way that the Romans thought. And understand with me that many of the people in Rome were polytheistic, which meant they believed and they worshipped a multiplicity of gods. They had a god for this, they had a god for that, and they went home and had their little god for that too. So this idea of Christ being born of a virgin, living into his 30s and dying on a cross, which by the way was the Roman method of execution, in their minds what Paul was saying, is you need to worship an inmate. You need to worship a criminal. So they're thinking, somebody we have crucified, you want me to call Lord? Ridiculous. So here's Paul. He comes into this line of thinking. 
And Paul in the book of Romans leads a masterful discussion in the book of Romans. It is a Holy Ghost majestic approach of how he does it because he weaves into the book of Romans Judeo theology and from chapter to chapter he's just doing an incredible job and you're thinking as a preacher, yeah baby, just drive your point home. Lead them over into Jesus. And then he gets to the seventh chapter and he just exposes himself. What? What are you thinking, Paul? After you have exposed them so eloquently to the gospel, now you're exposing yourself? I mean, you would think that he would want them to think that he was respected. You would think that he wanted them to think that he was righteous. Wanted to look at his holiness. Wanted to look at his absolute integrity and his theological intellect. After all, Paul was a respected scholar of his day and and as far as his intellect, he had such a massive mind of the things of God and he was able to take the things of God and communicate them so profoundly that he was in a class and a distinction all of his own that absolutely no man could ever think of coming close or even rabble. And you would think that he would want them to honor him because of his pedigree, because of his background, because of his education, because of the fact that he could speak a multiplicity of language. But you got to understand, church, and hear me real clearly for all those that look down their long sanctified nose at everybody else. The real power of the gospel is not showing people how high and mighty you are. When you think about your one and witnessing to your one, the real power of the gospel is to not show your one how different you are and so separated from the world you are, how elite you are, how special you are, how holy you are. To really connect with people like Paul was doing, you want to show them how common you can become. And that's what Paul was doing. He was showing them how common he could become. Because before this chapter, Paul has developed this very powerful understanding that being justified by faith, you have peace with God. And the Romans understood this because the Romans were about money. They knew economy. They were good at numbers. So he was showing them that the powerful reality of faith is faith is the commerce of the spiritual things. Faith in the spiritual realm is like money in the natural realm. So we go to the king with faith. And as we go to the king with faith, we we purchase, if you will, justification. That's why the Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And the Bible says, if you believe God, it is counted, an accounting term, it is accounted to you as righteousness. So Paul was just doing a magnificent job and... And then Paul comes out of this high pinnacle of theological expression and he comes into this massive amount of vulnerability. And I told you last week, the only truly way to be filled is to break before God. To be vulnerable before God. To expose ourselves before God. And I know as a communicator, if Paul is a communicator and I'm a communicator, this was a hard moment for Paul. 
It is a hard moment for many of you to be exposed and vulnerable and come to God in truth because when you are vulnerable and you're a minister, people don't know this, but when you drop the mic and walk off stage, you second-guess yourself. You second-guess yourself. You get in the car and say, maybe I went too far. Maybe I said too much. Maybe, what are they going to think of me? Maybe I shouldn't have said that. And I know Paul is going through this moment because in a moment of vulnerability and a moment of exposure, he says, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Paul, you had them at hello. You wanted them to respect you and now you're exposing yourself. But that's when Jesus said, son, that's truly the moment that he was being like me. It's like, okay, explain that, Jesus. How was he being like you of exposing himself and being vulnerable? And he said, understand, son, that when I redeemed you, I exposed myself because I hung up there completely and totally naked on the cross before all the people just to save you. When Thomas doubted him, what did Jesus do? He exposed his side and said, come touch my side where the, uh, uh, the uh, sword pierced my side. Come, let me expose my nail print wrist. I want you to touch that. And the lesson that I'm trying to tell you today is the more that you expose your true feelings, the more that you learn to break, the more that you learn to become vulnerable before God Almighty, the more he will move in this place. And I think that's why a lot of people don't think, uh, sing that song. This is a move because you know what you got to do. I don't want that move if I've got to be vulnerable. don't want that move if I've got to break. I don't want that move if I've got to show people my real self. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Which Paul is actually exposing himself and probably this is what you wrestle with is what Paul wrestled with. The thing that I intended to do the thing that I had in my mind to do when I went to Walmart the thing that I had purposed in my heart to do this week I just didn't do it God the very thing that I said I wasn't going to say anymore Lord oops I did it again here we are again but we have to be real we have to be open we have to be broken and we have to be exposed is there anybody else than me that you set out to do something but you messed up before you even got out of the house You had it in your mind to do it. You had it in your mind not to get nasty with the person again, but you went ahead and got nasty anyway. Anybody? One one girl was like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You know, for me, I I know you're not going to clap, and I know you're not going to shout real loud here because, you know, church folks really don't want to shout and clap at this kind of stuff because, you know, they don't want you to think that anything's wrong with them or they would ever think a bad thought. But just, just hang tight, we'll, we'll get to there. But um, look, look, we all go through situations like Paul. Although I wanted to do good, evil was right there with me. And let me just give you a little wisdom nugget here. The truth of the matter is this. Let me word it right. The more saved you become, the more conflict you enter... Because there's an internal war. Y'all get that? 
the more saved you become, the more internal conflict there is because there, there's a war. See, the Bible says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You with me? So the more I get into the Word, the more saved I become. Not that I'm like, oh, now I'm really getting into heaven. The more sanctified, maybe I should say, I become. If I don't really care about the Word, I don't really care what the preacher's going to preach, and I'm just going to be the same old crotchety person, then this, you know, you're never really in conflict. You're just the same old crotchety person you've always been. Are you hearing me? But when you really want to change your life and you become in, you come into the truth, the more conflict there is because now there's an internal war. Let me just put it to you this way. When I was a sinner, there wasn't a war. And the, y'all know about me, I used to go get drunk. I used to go to the bar. I was a weekend warrior, baby. I lived for Friday, spent my paycheck by Friday night. I was broke by Saturday morning. Then I had to borrow from friends just to go to the bar again on Saturday night. And everything in me that day was in agreement. Oh, don't sit there and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. I've never been in a bar. (laughs) I popped out of my mama saved. Don't look at me with your long, sanctified nose and judge me. Let me get all up in your Facebook and I'll show you some things. Everything within me was in agreement. I started out in the house on Friday night. I was halfway drunk before I got to the bar. I didn't fall into the bar by accident. I planned it all day long, what I was going to wear, kind of cologne I was going to put on. Are you with me? But then I got saved. I found Jesus. And I was in conflict. I didn't have conflict when I was in sin. I had total agreement. So now as a saved man, I am in war. I am in a fight. I am in a battle. So when I taught you the very first Sunday that the power is in the mind, I want to close this series by telling you that the problem is in your flesh. Better write that one down. The power is in my mind, but the problem is in my flesh. And that's why I'm telling you, you've got to get your mind right. And you've got to get your mind right, listen to me, because your mind is the only tool that God has given you to war the inside of you. I said the mind is the only tool that God has given you to war against the inside of you. That's why the Bible says with the mind we serve the Lord. That's why when I get saved, go ahead. I I told the Sunday school class to do this. In the morning, when you're looking at the mirror, take a piece of white tape and just put it right down the middle of the mirror so that when you look at yourself, you see two people. Because one half of you is the spirit-led man, the new man. The other half of you is the natural man, the sinful man that's going contrary to God. And you look at yourself and you can say, Who do I serve today? Because as I transform my mind with the renewing of the word of God, 
no matter what comes up, it should be in unity with the spirit side. Now what comes up, I should tell that joker off and tell them what I'm thinking. The mind should say, vengeance is not yours, thus saith the Lord. The Lord will repay. And you use your mind to crush the sinful nature. It is with our mind that we serve the Lord. Your flesh, your nature, your human nature, let me go ahead and let you in on a secret. It don't want to live holy. It don't want to live holy. It don't want to forgive that dirty, rotting scoundrel that did you wrong. Oh, come on, come on, let's get real. There's some of you don't want to forgive your husband for what he did last night. It don't want to be nice to nasty people. Don't make me call you a liar. I can tell you right now, some of you didn't want to come to church today. That wasn't God. That was your nature side. Your human nature don't want to turn the other cheek. You hit me, I'm going to bust you right back. But see, the spirit side, with your mind, if you're renewing it with the word, turn the other cheek. Love those that persecute you, right? I can tell you right now that your flesh rose up when my wife got up and said, it's tithe time. Because your flesh like, uh-uh, that money's for me. Baby's got to pay the bills, right? It's natural for you to be selfish and stubborn. It's natural for you to get nasty with me when you don't like something I say. It is natural for you to be puffed up with pride and arrogance. But it sure is ugly to God. You with me? Listen, there are times in my life, and some of y'all, no, I'm just kidding. There are times in my life that not just as a pastor now, but as the more saved I become, I can't say things that I used to say. I can't say things that I used to say. So I think to myself in that moment, Lord, could you just let them know what I'm thinking? Please? Because, see, I don't want them to think that my silence is my passivity. I want them to know that I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit and you rein me in from telling them all. But if you would just let me go and unyoke me, I'd set it all up, up in their crawl. Are you hearing me? But he yoked me. He said, whoa, boy, uh uh-uh, that's the old you. Come on back over here. He reined me in. Are there any real people in here today? I mean, you'd like to know. I mean, just, just let them know what I'm thinking, Lord. And that's why we need our mind right. That's why we need to renew our mind, because if our mind isn't right, if you're not in the Word, and too much in Facebook, and too much in the news, and too much in other ideologies and philosophies, let me tell you, you'll make the wrong decision. Although I want to do good, Evil is right there with me. So every day I wake up, I'm a war walking. There are times I'm a war talking. There are times I'm a war driving down the street. There's a lot of times I'm a war when I walk into Walmart. 
And there are times I'm a war when I'm walking in this church because what's happening is every day I got good and evil shooting all these things at me. They're coming at me at every direction. And here you thought I didn't speak to you or shake your hand because I'm such a suchy much. No, baby, maybe I was under siege and maybe I was in a war and I didn't have time to think about what you were going through because of the hell that I was fighting for that week. Are you with me today? So today I want to leave you with three things to consider for your life. No matter if you're a very spiritually mature Christian in this place, you're you're seeking the faith and you want to know about what's going on or you just became a Christian, I want to talk to you about conviction, conversion, and condemnation. And I promise you, in the end, it will all tie back into worry. I hope I can pull it off. Pray for me. Amen. Let's talk about conviction. I I should probably start with conversion first, but I want to talk about conviction first because when we think of the word from a natural mindset, we think about somebody that went into the court of law and they were convicted for a crime and now they are a convict. But that's not what the Bible means when it talks about conviction. When it talks about conviction, biblically it's different than legality. Uh, If I have a conviction, I can have a conviction about loyalty. I can have a conviction about integrity. I can have a conviction about, you know what, I might not watch rated R movies. That might be a a conviction. What convictions are, are are literally core values. Core values that have become important to you and you have a conviction about that. I preach the best sermons when I have a deep conviction about what I'm preaching about. So conviction in the natural realm may be a legal term, but in the spiritual realm, it is something that I am now persuaded about. When I read the Word, I I develop convictions because now I'm persuaded that this is about me and about my life. I can be convicted about this, that, or the other based on the Word of God. But what you've got to understand is convictions come as a result of what you are exposed to. Understand that. Convictions come of what you are exposed to. So, that's why I encourage you to get into the Word of God. It's just a baby crying. Look at me. Don't look at it. Okay? It's just a... No, you're okay. I, I, I got to rein them in. They... Like children's ministry. Look up front. Okay, everybody up here. Y'all seen a baby, right? That's why I tell you to read the Word. That's why I encourage you to come to church. Not to where I got... Look, I don't take numbers and send it in somewhere and they look, Oh, look, Pastor Kylie's growing a church. I bring you in and encourage you to come in because the more teaching you are exposed to, the more conviction you have. The more growth comes to your life. Are you hearing me? Expose yourself to more teaching. Expose yourself to more work. Why? Because you weren't born with conviction. You were exposed and you were persuaded of your level of conviction that you have right now. Some of you in this church have been with me for eight years and I bet you some of your conviction has risen since you've been up under my teaching. 
that you weren't convicted with before that you ever came to Northfield Church. For example, for me, I was exposed to great men of God, two great men of God, that they preached the infallible Word of God. They preached the truth. They didn't care whose toes they were stepping on. They were equal opportunity offenders. They didn't care if you liked them or not. And I was exposed to that for 12 years. And now that's the crux of my ministry because I have a conviction about preaching the truth. Now if I had been up under 12 years of seeker-sensitive teaching, this would be a whole different church. We'd be a seeker-sensitive church. I don't have a conviction about that. Matter of fact, I'm anti that. I believe in preaching the truth of the Word of God. Let it hit you however it hits you and let God deal with you however He deals with you. But I have a conviction about that that will never change. So what, somebody say conviction is progressive. Like I said, there are a lot of things you have convictions now that you didn't have back when. There are a lot of convictions I have now that I didn't have two years ago. Why? Because our convictions are a result of what we're exposed to. And look at me. That's the beauty of change. That's the beauty of change. Look at somebody and say, today I changed my mind. That is the most powerful sentence to the enemy because he hates that word. He wants you to think the way that you started with Christ is the way that you're going to end with Christ. But one of the greatest gifts of knowing God is the ability to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and make changes where I need to make changes to become a better man for me first and then for my wife and then for my kids and then for you. Are you hearing me today? Somebody say conviction. Somebody say I changed my mind. How do I change my mind? It's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We have made conviction the dirty bird word in church. Good Christians don't want to be up under a pastor that brings conviction because all he is is a condemning pastor. You don't know your theology nor do you know the definitions of the word. Conviction is the most beautiful thing in the Christian walk. But it's not the most beautiful thing to go through. Have you ever been convicted by the Holy Spirit? It's like a spiritual whooping that you've never wanted before in your life. Are you hearing me? You said something to someone that you shouldn't have said. You showed your fanny. I mean, you showed your fanny real good. Anybody ever showed their fanny? I mean, not like literally. (laughs) It's a southern term. Anybody from the south but me? Do you know what I'm talking about? If you show your fanny real good, you kind of feel good about it. You know, you walked away thinking, I told them. (laughs) That'll teach them. And then you get in the car and the Lord says, Son, you you ought not have said that. You're better than that. You didn't represent me well. And there's nothing worse than the Holy Spirit whooping you like that. Because now, if you're an obedient follower of Jesus Christ, you have to go back and you have to... Apologize. 
Now you wish you didn't say it because apologizing is worse than all the joy you got out of saying it. (laughs) Now you got to go and apologize. And people don't apologize good. People don't apologize good. And you know when somebody's not apologizing good because they come up to you and they said, if I said anything. You know, when somebody comes up to you and apologizes and they say, if I said anything, just start doing this. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm itching because you are contagious. What you need to do is be real and come out and say you shouldn't have said what you said. You shouldn't open your stupid mouth and done me like you done me. Come on out. Be real. Be vulnerable. Be exposed. And say you're sorry. I'm telling you, that's the problem with the church. The problem with the church is we don't get all the way free because we don't come all the way out to repent. If I said anything. Yeah, you said something. And you know what you said and you felt good about it and the Holy Spirit convicts you. That's why you're here. The Holy Spirit convicts us. And conviction comes... Through the gentleman and the grace and the mercy of the Holy Spirit to give you the opportunity to change. Ain't he good? He's good. Because change is what the church calls conversion. Somebody say conversion. And conversion is good. Look, 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 look. Conviction led you to your conversion. But now that we're walking with God, we don't want conviction no more. I don't get it. If conviction led you to change your life and now you're a Christian, what led you there is going to keep you there. Are you hearing me? So you cannot convert anyone that is not convicted. So no matter how hard you try, If they are not convicted, they will not convert. Why? Because conviction is personal. You can't make them be convicted. I cannot make you be convicted and give your life to Christ. That is a Holy Ghost ministry. Therefore, I can't make any of y'all be converted. I pray that all of you convert, but I can't make you convert. That's why the drug addict will never give up the drugs over your conviction. They've got to be convicted that it's destroying their life. They have to have a personal conviction in order to have a true, sincere conversion. Are you with me? Y'all okay if I'm teaching you this today? All right, let's go a little bit deeper. If you go back to doing something that you used to do, you revert. You revert to your old ways. You revert to who you were. If I'm walking and suddenly something hits my life and I divert, there was two ways in front of me, but this got in the way and I diverted another way. So whether it's diversion, whether it's revert, or whether it's convert, it's all about changing direction. The difference with conversion is it means I was going this way and then I heard a voice call me. 
And I heard it talk about the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross for my sin to be the author and the perfecter of my faith. And I heard the voice of the Holy Ghost say, Kylie, and I was going this way, and I turned and went completely and totally the opposite way. That is conversion. Are you with me? Here's the problem. Conversion is what creates the conflict. Many of you in this room, how many of you have been saved for under two years? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay. Anybody else? Under five years? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you sometimes struggle? Just, not, just out of that group. Okay. Here's the deal. Conversion creates conflict because we built our world around who we were. We built our world around who we were. Somebody's in this room right now. You've built your world around who you were. You've come this Sunday. Maybe you're into drugs. Maybe you're into alcohol. Maybe you're into this, that, or the other. But you've come this Sunday. Maybe today is the day that you raise your hand to truly convert your life because conviction comes. And, and, and you have a Holy Ghost moment here at Northfield Church, but you go home and your world hasn't changed. There's still alcohol in the fridge. There's secret stuff on your computer. There's still friends in your life. You still got all your buddies. You still got all your support. You still got all of that secret stuff going on. All these things were built around who you were. Now the things don't agree with who you just become in the service. So conversion creates conflict. So even though you have converted, if you're not willing to go home and convert your environment, your success rate as a Christian just plummeted. I'll be honest with you. When I got saved, I wrote everybody off. How could you do that? Because they were not good for me. I went as far, and I know y'all might think I'm crazy, but that's nothing new. So I went home, and I got rid of all of my CDs, DVDs, and anything that represented who I was I cleaned house, baby, because I didn't want anything to get in my way. Are you hearing me today? If your world doesn't change, the conversion rate is going to be slim. And you will still be in constant conflict. And here's the deal. Most Christians remain the same. They never change in their life because they don't want conflict. That's why you haven't never told the person at work that you are a Christian, you attend Northfield Church. We don't want conflict. Why don't we want conflict? Because we value friendship over lordship. We want the friends more than we want the Lord, and we want everybody to think well of us. But that's external conflict. Those are things that you can change. But the real power of the text is the internal conversion and the internal conflict. Are you with me today? I have dealt with the external. 
When I convert, there's external. But the real power of the text is the internal. External is hard enough, believe me. I have to deal with all the outside. I have to look at all the idiotic Facebook comments. I have to deal with all the idiotic comments that come of people talking about Jesus and talking about Christ and they don't know what they're talking about. And then to top it off, I may post something about Jesus and then I got all the intellect that want to say Jesus ain't real. And then for some of you, you got to walk into your workplace with all the dirty jokes and all the external conflicts. So not only are you dealing with the external conflict, now Paul introduces to the world of the war he hates the most. He can deal with the external external he's theologically uh, 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 intellectual to deal with the external but what he hates is the war within him because after all if I don't like you I can just eliminate you from Facebook (laughs) if I don't really want to be around you I am the master at, at avoiding you I can shut you down if I don't really care for you but what do you do When the enemy is talking to me all day long, and although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Now my conversion has put me in conflict with me. With me. Paul says I'm walking around with this conflicted nature. My flesh wants to serve the law of sin. And if my flesh wants to serve the law of sin, Paul says, for my inner being delights in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind. So if the enemy attacks my mind, I got nothing left to serve the Lord. I got nothing left to be successful as a Christian. I've got nothing left to be an overcomer. I have nothing left to get my victory. Especially if I'm not coming to church. Especially if I'm not making the word important. Especially if I'm not praying. Because why? It is with my mind that I serve the Lord. So now my conversion has put me in conflict. Here I already understand my human nature boycotts my decision to follow Jesus because my human nature is constantly constantly at war with the spiritual things. So again, I have to keep renewing my mind and renewing my mind and renewing my mind or baby, I'm going to lose this war. And that's where many of you come in, get saved, get excited, and then we never see you again. Because you're not putting it to use are you with me you're not picking it up here we have Paul that wrote the book and every day we walk past the book as if we're better than the writer right if the guy that wrote the book is admitting that I'm in the fight then I know all of you are in a fight too Amen? Now you can be phony when you go out to eat, but let's be real here, okay? So what Paul shows me is I have to deal with conviction. I have to deal with conviction. Because my conversion created a conflict. And since conviction converted me, I must embrace conviction... I must get in the Word more. 
I must be up under teaching more because if conviction converted me, conviction is going to keep on changing me. Look at me. Say this. Say, conviction is not punishment. It's not. It's not. Conviction brings the hope of change. Because conviction will lead you to the Word and say, Son, you're going this way. But if you go this way, you'll be blessed. That brings me hope. How many of you want to be blessed? Okay. Murder? You go to jail. How many of you want three squares behind bars? Anybody? Anybody? Go murder somebody. Don't murder? I'll be blessed. It's really simple. Right? It's really simple. I mean, just follow the book. But condemnation brings punishment because condemnation does not bring you any hope. Condemnation says you're stuck, you will never change, you are worthless, you deserve what you got. Are you with me? So let's talk about condemnation. I'll get out of your hair. In Paul's day in Rome, now understand, he's talking to the Romans. In Paul's day, when a man committed the crime, one of the ways that they would judge the man that would commit a crime, let's say murder, they would take the body of the dead man and tie it to the living man. So here's this living man walking around with a dead man on his body. So now the deteriorating, decaying flesh begins to seep into the pores of the skin of the man who did the murder until the death on the one gets into and filtrates the other. So now when we read, Paul say, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Light bulbs went off in the Romans and the Romans knew exactly what he meant because when you have done wrong in Rome, you were convicted, you were condemned and you would carry around the wretched corpse of the dead person until the dead man got into the living man. Are you hearing me? So Paul does not say, this is just the way that I am. I'm just a nasty person, you're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> I'm just arrogant and prideful, and all of you are just going to have to live with it. <laughs> no, he doesn't say I was born this way. He doesn't say I can't change my life. He doesn't say there's no hope for me. He says, who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. Our Lord, come on and give Him praise in this place. Give Him praise in this place. If you've ever been delivered, give Him praise in this place. See, what some people don't understand is the worship service is your time to get your praise on 
because of the habits that were bringing death to your life, that were making you that wretched person. Jesus came and He set you free, baby. Are you hearing me? That old thing that you used to do that was killing your marriage and killing your kids, Jesus stepped in and said, I free you from this. The places that you used to go that were leading your life into death, Jesus says, no, I will lift it off of you. Are you hearing me this morning? Some of you, your nasty attitude that he delivered you from, you need to be praying. And I love how people try to explain our praise. Some people say that it's an emotional thing. Well, okay, maybe it is. Some of the churches of the frozen chosen say it's the most ignorant thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Some say it's a charismatic thing. I don't know what kind of thing it is. All I know is if you've ever been convicted on death row and somebody stepped into your life and freed you from death, every time I sit there and worship God and I think about where I could be, I begin to praise Him. Are you hearing me? I'll get out of your hair. The musicians come, but I want you to see this. What we see in chapter 7 is Paul's telling the Romans. He says he's carrying around this body. He's carrying around this body. Who will rescue me from this body of death? But in chapter 8, he's now speaking their language when he says there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. In chapter 7, you're a convict. In chapter 7, you were on death row. In chapter 7, you're carrying around a corpse. But all of a sudden, in chapter 8, he's saying, now there is no condemnation. What happened between 7 and 8 is Jesus set you free. Jesus set you free. So what I need you to see is that, and I think I have taught this before, is that on the cross, he has delivered me. He's delivered me from the penalty of sin. Now my sin will no longer get me into hell. He's taken care of that penalty. He's paid the price. I'm going to get into heaven. As a Christian, every day that I say, fill me with the Spirit of God. I seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and your righteousness. I want to live a righteous life. He's delivering me from the practice of sin. Every time I embrace conviction and say, thank you, Holy Ghost. I shouldn't have done that. I was stupid. Instead of hardening in my heart, callousing my heart to where I never hear Him again, then I'm the same old crotchety person I've always been. You're ruining your marriage. You're ruining your family because you won't change. You won't learn how to hear the Holy Spirit again. You keep going out there and doing the same old thing that you've always done, which is called insanity. You're expecting different results Sunday after Sunday, but you never change your ways. But you embrace the voice of the Holy Ghost. You embrace His conviction. Then He is delivering you from the practice of sin through conviction and thanks be to God 
because I am a war walking, I am a war talking, and I am a war driving. When he comes through the clouds and that trumpet blows, he delivers me from the very presence of sin here on earth. So God delivers us in three tenses. When it comes to the penalty, I have been delivered. When it comes to my walk, I am being delivered. When it comes to the fact that I live in this world and there are times that I'd rather be with Him, He shall deliver me in the future. But there's never any condemnation. The Holy Spirit will never condemn you. He will always gently convict you. Condemnation leaves you with no hope, tells you're horrible, tells you you have no future. That's the devil. Condemnation comes and says, Son, you're going this way, but if you change your ways, there's more blessings to come your way. Are you with me? He has delivered me, He is delivering me, and He shall deliver me. In fact, church, here's how we're going to tie it into worry. When I look back on what He has delivered me from, and I look at the mountain of stuff that wants to worry me, I know He can deliver me today. And then anything in the future that does come, I know He can deliver me in the future. Because my God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So now I know that the power is in my mind, and I've got to keep my mind right. I know that worry is simply an indication that I'm so full of my problem that I'm not full of Him and I need to break. And now I know if there is a theological process operating in my life through conviction, through conversion, and now there's no condemnation, that I have hope that the one that has delivered me, He will deliver me and He shall deliver me. So every day I can kiss worry goodbye because I can face tomorrow and say, look out, here I come because I'm bringing my deliverer with me. Are you hearing me? If you don't want to worry, wake up every day. Let your future know I'm bringing my deliverer with me because he is my deliverer. He has delivered me. He is delivering me, and He shall deliver me, and He is my deliverer. Amen? Come on and give Him praise. I close with saying that there's somebody in this room that doesn't know Jesus. Oh, you've tried Him, and you've tried Him, and you've tried Him. That's what you keep telling yourself. Disagree with you. You've put him on because you thought he was the miracle cure, but you never really walked in the word, which is what's going to deliver you. I've seen a lot of people never take him seriously. And I've seen them right back at this altar crying, boo-hoo-hooing. Because they never took the word seriously. I, I love you, and I'm just cutting it to you straight. If you want the word to work, you work the word. Then there's somebody in this place. 
for whatever reason, you wanted to raise your hand, but you just couldn't. Oh, Lord, I know the feeling. I know the feeling because I fought him many times. But I can tell you the best thing that ever happened in my life is when I turned over my life and he changed it forever. The Bible says this is the day of your salvation. Choose this day who you shall serve. Let me just tell both of you that I was speaking to, and I think you know I was speaking to you. If you're right and I'm wrong, I really don't have anything to lose. I've lived a good life. I've raised a good generation. I've tried to change something with people that I've come in contact with to be better. But if I'm right and you're wrong, you've got everything to lose because I make it to heaven and you don't. Heaven and hell are real. I don't know about you, but I just don't like hot. I don't want to live an eternity in hell. I just want to pass through this earth, do the best that I can, and get to my home that's in heaven. That's why I tell you, I'm not calling you to join a church. If you want to, that's fine. I'm calling you to join the kingdom. Calling you to join a family. A family that loves you, a family that'll help you, a family that I promise you, especially here under my watch, they ain't gonna steer you wrong. They may confuse you a little, but they ain't gonna steer you wrong. I want to encourage you, if you've been wrestling with that decision, would you go ahead and just lift up your hand right now and say, Pastor, that's me. I just want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe this is the first time you're coming to Jesus. Let me just say right now, in your mind, if you're trying to figure it all out, you never will. Because <laughs> in my mind, I haven't figured it all out, and I'm your pastor. Anybody in this room? Pastor, I want to give my life to every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, just raise your hand up high where I can see it. You can put it back down. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to lead you to Jesus.